Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to a brand new Arsblog Arscast, right here on Arsblog.com. How are you? Hope you're well. Thank you very much indeed, as always, for being here. I know this is late on a Friday, but the World Cup and various other things have played, not havoc, but they have impacted the schedule of the podcast. However, it's very much a case of better late than never. And it's not never, it is late. So apologies for that if you're expecting something first thing this morning, but we have it for you right now. And uh, I'm just going to get on with this one, actually, rather than do any kind of long intro, because the less I talk, the quicker this gets out to you, so you can have it in your ears. With me today to talk World Cup, Arsenal, and more, it's Clive Palmer. Hi, Clive. Hello, hello. How are you, mate? I am all right. Just to let people know that if there are any ooh, and as and uh, while we record this, Wales versus Iran is on on the screen here while I'm recording at the World Cup. Um, Iran have just had a goal di- uh, disallowed for for offside about 16 minutes into that game at the time of recording. So if there are any exclamations or funny noises, it's because I'm I'm. Uh, it's not that I'm not paying attention to you, Clive. It's just that the football is on, you know. Well, I'm a professional, of course, and so I'm not watching the football. Right. I'll just watch it through your eyes. You will live vicariously through me. That's fair enough. Exactly. How are you finding this World Cup so far from a a footballing perspective? It's a tough one, right? Because we're at the end of the Arsenal world, shall Mm. we say. It was all about how can we end the first phase of the season, which we did it really, really well. Yeah. And it's like, oh, breather. Great. We got there. Now let's have a look at the World Cup. It's all crept up on me a little bit. And I got up here yeah, with all the things surrounding it. I sort of mentally been trying almost to ignore it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And um, and then it's suddenly here. And because we're football people, you sort of feel almost duty bound to start investing in it. But it didn't feel as natural to me on a personal level mm-hmm. as it has from previous years because it's, it's just so different, right? And... Um, and we get thrown a lot of stuff, don't we, uh, around it. Everything around the football, apart from the football, you get thrown out various various news channels, etc. So mm. it's been a channel a challenge. But then England walked out on the pitch, and um, obviously we have an interest with our own boy playing, and it feels a lot more normal now. And I'm I'm already looking at my outfit for tonight to go out to watch <laughs> England game, <laughs> and I will not be coming back early. <laughs> so right. yeah, it's all set. I, I I'm not going to ask too many details about what kind of outfit you're going to wear tonight. Um, just a steady outfit. I'm, there's no crusader outfit coming from me, put it that way. So um, it's a steady night out. Yeah, I mean, I think that's probably wise. You know, going to um, the Middle East wearing a crusader outfit, not the greatest not judgment call of all time, is it? Not smart. Um, I mean, Bakayo Saka, 
you, I mean, just before we talk about him, <clears throat> excuse me, the the thing you mentioned about the World Cup not feeling normal, and, and everyone knows there's a lot of discussion about that, and we've had that discussion, and I don't think we need mm. to sort of have that discussion again and again and again, but the timing of it is clearly an issue, like when it's happening. And we've talked about it, and you guys have talked about it on Arsenal Vision, and, you know, this this sort of unnatural positioning of the World Cup in the middle of the season, I, I, I think is interesting because of all the various um, consequences it has on the players that are going, the players that are not going. Do you feel like that has been evident in some of the football that we've seen so far and some of the results that we have seen so far throughout this tournament, some of the performances that we've seen? I'm thinking kind of of the, the Saudi Arabia-Argentina game in a way, because, you know, to go whatever that was, 114 minutes, I know there were some stoppages, but there was all this injury time. But the Saudi Arabian team, the ability to defend the way that they defended is perhaps linked to the fact that this is mid-season, if you like, that it's not coming at the end of, uh, you know, a long, hard football season. This is sort of in the middle of the season where players are in peak condition. And their ability to sort of make those last-ditch tackles, to stay as organized, to stay as disciplined, is, is perhaps part and parcel of, of what we're seeing. Yeah, I mean, there's a few bits there, Andrew. I think some of the teams have been together for longer, like, a, I could say, a normal, air quotes, World mm. Cup, where you have a camp. And some of the teams are obviously just rolling on a Tuesday and they're playing on a Saturday. You know, it's that's not normal. No. Right? So um, if there is a normal anymore with football, because what's basically happening is this is all about finance all about FIFA struggling with UEFA and various other football bodies and competing against each other or want to expand their competitions and what we find is a group of people in the middle of that called football players that suffer for <laughs> these decisions right and yeah. um, one of the sad things about uh, one of the sad things is seeing the players that have missed the tournament literally just for a little injury they missed the tournament mm. of their lives you know for a, a two three weeker yeah, you know, and it, and it feels it feels it feels wrong to me. Um, so yeah, I'm on the playing side of things with the extra time, I I am one. I like that, and I like where that's going. My personal view is I'd like the clock to be taken out of the referee's hands, and so when when the when the game stops, the clock should stop. Much like rugby, you know, I'm going to say this, Andrew. You've heard me before say yeah. this, and I think. That would have a level of excitement, and I think, and it takes away the gamesmanship. There's too much gamesmanship. There's not enough ball in time play. Yeah, and we need to we need to change that. You know, we really do because the players are taking advantage of the fact that referees will let things go, let things go, and add on three minutes. That does not work for any of us when we're losing one nil. <laughs> do you see what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> I, I completely agree. I, I'm, I do think it's something that probably needs to be sort of discussed more widely as well, because I don't think anyone was expecting this. It wasn't, you know, the way before World Cups, you often hear like the referees are going to do this. They're going to pay close attention to, I remember one of the tournaments, uh, you know, they were talking about all the grappling in the box, you know, players with arms around each other and things like that. And yeah. Referees are going to pay close attention to that. So if you're a defender, if you're an attacker, you know, just be be clean in the box. And, you know, we see what goes on in the box all the time right now. Uh, you know, players are holding each other down. Sometimes it's a penalty. Uh, sometimes 
sometimes it's it's not, even when it's perhaps um, more obvious. You know, I'm not going to go to bat for Harry Maguire or anything like that. But, you know, how that one is not a penalty and another one is a penalty the next day is a little bit beyond me. But this timekeeping one, I think, is really interesting because nobody was expecting it. Nobody, like, considered the idea that at the end of, was it the England-Iran game in the second half, there was 10 minutes of ex- uh, injury time. And you're like well, hang on, I know there was lots of goals, et cetera, et cetera, but we know why there's a long stoppage in the first half. We don't really understand why there's a long stoppage in the second half. My understanding of this is that this timekeeping element is not in the hands of the referee. It's not the referee making that decision. It's, you know, the fourth official and what other, uh, maybe it's coming from the VAR room or whatever, and they're stopping the clock a little bit and they're saying, right, you should have X amount of injury time at the end of this game because there are that many goals, that many celebrations, all that kind of stuff. Um, but to sort of foist it, not foist it, but, you know, to, to lay it on people out of nothing, I think is quite an interesting move. So are we expecting this to be like the first step towards, let's say, the 30-minute clock, 30-minute ball-in-play clock? Um, are we going to see this kind of... Um, timekeeping being used in the big leagues now in the Premier, like when we return on Boxing Day, are we going to play ninety minutes against West Ham and then another twenty-two because there's twelve minutes and ten minutes at the end of each? I mean, I don't quite know. I don't quite know. So, I mean, how do they how do they consolidate this or ratify this across top level football? Yeah, the concept of time needs to be looked at, and they've done it. Now, I think. Uh, Kalina's behind this, referee for the FIFA. Yeah, he's part of it. Yeah. And so, but think about what's changed, Andrews. It's me and you donned our boots, right? So <laughs> there was, there are now five substitutes. That means you're getting 10 substitutions in a game, potentially, mm. right? So so that's, that's significant stoppage time right there. And when you're winning and late in the game, people are not sprinting off the pitch, are they? Quite rightly. They're looking for reasons to slow the game down. And then we have the whole... We have the whole technology piece with VAR, and we can have two, three minutes discussing that situation, a referee running over to a screen. Mm. The way we manage time today is not going to last. It's not It's not relevant any longer. We have to look at it because the game has changed. I think, you know, what we're seeing with Arsenal, we bring it back to Arsenal a little bit, when there is an injury in the game, and some of those injuries, by the way, we can question, particularly the goalkeeper ones. <laughs> we know what happens when a goalkeeper goes down. He's the only player who doesn't have to go off the pitch. And suddenly you've got 20 players tucked up with their manager having a, a mini coaching session. Yeah. I mean, let's, let's just get real about time, should we? Because coaches want more influence. Coaches are making more substitutions because the rules allow it. Let's just take the clock out of the referee's hand formally. Mm-hmm. Let's not sneak it up on us formally and make the clock mean something. I still want a 90-minute game, but it just needs to be added on in a more formal manner, shall we say. Yeah, I mean, there have been some trials about the the sort of 30-minute active play um, thing because I think the, the average ball in play time now is somewhere below 60 minutes. Uh, in a 90-minute game, you still have less. So, you you know, the ball is in play. You stop the clock when the ball goes out of play. And that's how you uh, that's how you play a game of football. 
it's probably more difficult to implement that across the board because a game of 90 minutes, you know, if we, me and you were to don our boots again and play <laughs> 90 minutes, we could go down the park, we could hand somebody a stopwatch and say 45 and 45, look at these old guys trying to run across a pitch and, and everything else. And it's simple, you know, that's normal. It happens at park level all the way to the top level, all the way to yeah. the World Cup, right? But if you change it, for the professional game, how then does that have consequences for for the game that people play every weekend, the game that people love every weekend? I mean, that's certainly uh, going to have to be a, a consideration, isn't it? It is. I think that's why when you said like boarding playtime, maybe do 30 minutes, I know conceptually you are correct, mm. but just that thought in my mind that a football match is not a 90-minute game, just sort of, I struggle with that. I don't mind it being a 100-minute game, if that makes sense, <laughs> but the 30 minutes sort of like, and I know you're, what you're saying is you're getting the same product, right? But I I like the idea of what they're doing. I, I just think the clock could be used as more as a uh, something quite spectacular if you, sure. if you stop it. And you can see the clock going to 90. And at 90, the very next stoppage means the game's over. You know, and I and I, I like that. I think that would bring a level of excitement. And, mm. and also, I just don't like seeing teams and slow the game down. I mean, the game is, for me, one of the big differentiators in football for good teams and bad teams is the tempo by which they're allowed to play at. Yeah. And if you allow people to slow that tempo down, it levels the playing field too much for me. And I want to see a game of flow, not a game of one moment and then wait 20 minutes for another moment. Yeah. You know, flow is what it's all about. And the, when I reached my level in football, it's because I couldn't keep up with the guys that could flow <laughs> through the pitch. That's when I knew my level. <laughs> and the good players don't stop. Yeah. They go and they go and they go. So let them play. Yeah. I said this on the one of our World Cup uh, podcasts on, on Patreon uh, was talking to, to Dan from HLTCO. And, mm. you know, our our opinion of time wasting or time added on is really fluid, right? Yeah. Depending on the game state. So if it's 1-0 to Arsenal and there's three minutes of added time, I'm like, nice. Yeah. Whereas if it's 1-0 to somebody else and there's only three minutes of added time, well, that's a disgrace. Absolutely. And there should be more time and we should basically be able to play until we score the goals that we need, right? That's what we want. That's what we want. But do you, do you think as well the, the, the potential for, let's say, almost over 100 minutes maybe or 115 minutes per game? Because that's obviously where we're heading. I think the average uh, game time in this World Cup is 100 minutes or, or more because of the added time that's been uh, put on. I mean, does that change the game and the way that managers and coaches have to think about it and substitutions. We've had the discussion about five subs, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, but but maybe your injury time substitutions become even more important. How you react, let's say, in the 89th minute in a nil-nil game and you score a goal, do you celebrate for a couple of minutes and go, yeah, this is brilliant when you know that time is going to be added on? Or do you just sort of like, do you go, oh, fuck, right, let's get back. So we, we want the, the least amount of added time possible. Exactly. All these various factors are quite interesting if you consider this being rolled out across football as, as we know it right now. Yeah, this is why I generally like it. Because you're now, what you're saying there, Andrew, you're starting to think about how behaviours would have to change. Yeah. And for me, I want to see a game that's more ball in playtime, less 
false stoppages, mm. right? So, and if you do have a stoppage because you're you're play acting or whatever it is, then you are penalised for it. And if you concede in the time where you try to waste, then woe betide mm. you, you know. And, the, and things behaviours will change. In the end, I put myself as a fan who goes to games. I want to see the game flow. You know, they're the games I remember the most, mm. not the games that we spend loads of times waiting for a guy to take a goal kick. Tim Krull comes to mind. Um, <laughs> and basically, we, we don't, we're not up for that, you know, although it is quite good fun in the stadium. <laughs> yeah, it is so, when it uh, flips around, isn't it? There was, was it Chris Kirkland one year as well, I think, for Wigan yes. he was playing and Thierry Henry gave him a bit. And every, what was really interesting about that when you think about it now is that I, I seem to remember Thierry Henry getting a bit of stick for giving Kirkland a bit of stick because Kirkland was wasting time the whole game and Arsenal went ahead and everything else. And it was like, well, you know, how dare this prancing prima donna have a go at the goalkeeper of the plucky underdogs. But, you know, if you're going to play it one way, when it comes back on you, you've got to be able to, if you're going to dish it out, you've got to be able to take it a bit. Yeah, absolutely. As I say, I prefer game of flow. I went to watch the, I went to my first live Arsenal women's game last week against Manchester United. Mm. Such an interesting experience, by the way. And I've watched loads of women's football on TV. And it was incredible, the, the speed and intensity. Andrew, it surprised me. It really did surprise me. And I've been around me. And, and I thought it was a superb game of football. Mm. And in the first half, it was a little bit more stop-start from Arsenal's perspective. But in second half, when Arsenal put the flow on and really put the pressure on, mm. you could see the difference. And that, and that really stood in me. And I thought, that's the football I like to watch. You know, I like to watch that. And I, any rules that come along that protect the general movement of the game, that makes the game spectacular. Think back to the Liverpool game this year. Unbelievable game of football, just end-to-end action. Mm. We've got to encourage that, and we've got to discourage people who want to stop the game unfairly. And 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 that's why. I'm, and I think that filtered down into the lower leagues, into non-league. If you know, you know. And what that will do, that will want that will make us produce different athletes, more aerobic athletes. You mm. know, maybe. And that, and we have to, and that will change the requirements. Although football really isn't a very anaerobic game, but it, it may really force the requirements to be go that way. And at the very top level, I'm sure when you see footballers in the real world, you see what they look like. They are skeletal athletes, aren't they? Yeah. To be able to to run and to move for as long as they do. So, I think it's. Uh, I have to say, I am fully behind it, and I just think it needs to be managed slightly differently, and and translate down the leagues accordingly in the same way. Yeah, I did enjoy. Um Takahiro Tomiyasu talking about how when he went down in injury time uh, during the mm. Japan-Germany game, he said, I'm paraphrasing here, but I saw a tweet where he talked about, it. he said, like the game, the flow of the game, he wanted to interrupt the flow of the game. Yeah. He wasn't necessarily injured, although I believe he might not be uh, available for the next game. So maybe there is an injury there a yeah. little bit. And Japan had used all their subs and everything else. But he talked about how he wanted to interrupt the flow of the game. And again, this goes back to our opinion on time wasting, yeah. where, uh, you know, if you're if you're Japan and you're 2-1 up over Germany and you're in injury time and there's like nine, eight or nine minutes of injury time and you're under the cosh a little bit, you know, as much as you want to see the game flow, if you're a Japan fan, exactly. you want Tomiyasu to do exactly what he did, just to sort Absolutely. of interrupt it for 30 seconds, whatever it is, and Germany have to regroup and sort of refocus and all that kind of stuff. And I thought about, um, you know, when he said that, I thought, they're being taught well. 
these yeah. players. They like know. maybe it's the Japan coach, but my gut feeling is that this is the sort of thing that Mikel Arteta wants from his Arsenal team. You're spot on, right? So it's the flow is one aspect, but controlling momentum, and just the right word I'm looking for. Yeah, There's momentums in game that you want to stop, right? So everything that we do tactically is about stopping defensive transitions. So we can then, what do we want? We want to create waves of attack. And that creates in-game momentums. And if you're defending against that, you want to stop that. Because I'm at my physical limit here, at my mental extremities to stop these guys running off my shoulders. Mm. And so if you get a chance to take a breather, you're gonna want, you want to take that breather, right? But what I don't want to see is that taken out of the game. If they add that breather on, then fine. We'll get you later. Do you see what I mean? And yeah, I yeah, think, yeah. And, I, and I do think that's really a key thing. And that, I know there's been a few articles about Arteta sort of having a... Um, a brainstorming session with the rugby coach Eddie Jones, for example. Mm. And again, in rugby, there are there are many huddles, shall we say, Andrew, coaching opportunities that they take because the game allows it, like penalties, etc. Sure. And I do think that maybe Arteta has taken that into this season and created the huddle, even post goal or at any moment with a goalkeeper injury. And those huddles are coaching opportunities. And I do think, again, I'm up for all of these things that really give the coach an influence. I think coaching influence in football has not been big enough for the price they pay. I don't, you've heard me say it before, haven't you? Yeah, yeah, I yeah. think, I think the substitutions numbers before the five weren't enough. And I don't think there's enough in-game opportunities to, to influence. Sure. So if there is one, add it on. Sure. You know, don't take away from the fans watching in the state. No, I always remember, um, was it Louis van Gaal when he was manager of Manchester United? And was Giggs perhaps one of his um, assistants? I can't remember. I but anyway, was, yeah, for sure. so he was like on the sideline, running up and down, shouting and screaming and everything else. And van Gaal, again, I'm paraphrasing here, but basically said, well, what's the point? They can't hear you. You know, you might as well just sit down and let them get on with it. But I think your point about managers wanting to have that influence during a game makes all kinds of sense. And I think it's interesting as well, when you think back to when Mikel Arteta first started, one of the features of football back then was, one was, there was a, a halftime break in the first half and the second yeah. half. There was a little break because football had been gone. It was being played during the summer. They felt like players needed a water break. And how many times did we talk about Arteta getting those players in? Like, so yeah. first half of the first half, that wasn't great. But Arsenal were actually a bit better in the second half of the first half because... Yeah. He had that opportunity to stop the game, or the game was stopped, and he used that opportunity to deal with his, um, you know, to deal with the players and deal with tactics and and all of those yeah. kinds of things. So, it is interesting to think that that might be uh, an increasing aspect of of the game and more hands on for the coach because there is a sort of helplessness, you know, as a coach. Um, when you're uh, in the middle of a game, like there's very little you can actually do unless play stops. You know, you can shout yeah. and scream from the sideline and all the rest of it. But when it comes to sort of tactical tweaks and those things, unless they're sort of predetermined and pre-organized and well rehearsed, you know, you stick your hand up and you do the you, whatever gesture and you change shape or whatever it is. You know, for the most part, it is quite difficult to change things during a half of football. So, um, yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, yeah. and I think it's something that would suit Arteta down to the ground. Oh, absolutely. Drinks break Arsenal. Remember them? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. they were, there were other teams complaining about drinks break because Arteta was so successful, <laughs> which was a preview to the fact that we may have had a decent coach at the time that we were struggling with that thought. Yeah. But hey, we got there in the end, right? So, yeah. um, but yeah, I, I, I think some coaches, well, actually a lot of coaches can really see the game clearly. And they would love an opportunity to change certain things. And 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 by the way, some make mistakes. Right, you can see a game incorrectly, and then have time and, and, and misread it, and basically make a change that takes the game away from you. That's all part of it for me. It's all part of it. The way we, particularly top level, the way we, um, I manage just three games away from getting sacked. Mm. Yeah, with they don't have the opportunity to not say don't have the opportunity, but sure. I believe they deserve every opportunity to protect their jobs and roles and to make the day better for us. Sure. Right? When it comes down to it, we're fans. We want to see our manager make as much right decisions as possible and to have as much opportunity to do that. So we get the, the day and the evenings and the weekends that we like. Yeah, right? yeah. <laughs> That's what we want. And we just happen to have a very tactically astute manager at the moment. And, and I'm all for giving him coaching time. Let's talk a few um, Arsenal players who've been at the tournament. And I know that Bakayo Saka will be in an action uh, tonight um, mm. when England play USA. Uh, the Matt Turner versus Bakayo Saka derby, as it's known around the world. Um, pleasing for him to make his mark at the tournament so quickly. Um Two goals in the first game against Iran. Two extremely good goals as yeah. well. Whatever you might say about the caliber of the opposition or the quality of the defending or anything like that, this is doing it on the biggest international stage that there is. And I, you know, if people thought there might be some kind of hangover from him uh, with regards to what happened at the Euros, he's put that to bed completely and, yeah. you know, really quickly. I don't think we as Arsenal fans had any worries about that because we saw how he responded. We saw how he came back and we saw how much responsibility he took last season for Arsenal. After all uh, after all that, you know, but he really is not announcing himself, but really consolidating his position as one of the top young players in European football. Without a doubt. And the way Southgate sees him has, has always interested me, actually, um, when he first picked him, many fans outside of Arsenal were a bit surprised. Maybe even some Arsenal fans were a bit surprised. But when Southgate picked him, I remember one thing he said was, I wish I'd have picked him sooner. Mm -hmm. I thought, whoa, that's a bit strong. Obviously, he's seen him in training. He was impressed with him. But I think he was impressed with him as an individual. And there's not many people who doesn't like Bukaya Saka as an individual. Mm. And what he brought to the squad and Southgate being a big culture guy and a club guy, you know, club England, shall we say. Um, I think he, he's done really well in that regard with Saka. Mm. I think I did get a little clip of Saka sort of said that at the start of the season, the World Cup was on his mind. I thought that was an interesting admission, you know, because there was a period at the start of our season, we were wondering about him, mm. you know. Um, but what I think he has discovered during this season is a level of gears, I think he understands his moment in the game where he needs to deliver. And he delivers in that moment. Mm -hmm. And he understands how to play a 6 out of 10 game and play within the structure, if that makes sense. So when we've got the goals, he can still do his job. 
until he doesn't need to do a job no more, he can get replaced. I think he's shown a level of maturity in his game that's gone way beyond what I expected at this stage in his career. When you're a young kid, you could just come in, you just, you know, you run around, run around, run around. But he's still a young kid and mm. he's saying, no, don't worry, lads, I've got this. When he needs to, and then when he needs to just be a supportive player, he can be that as well. When he needs to be positional, hold his shape, which he always does anyway, he can do that. And defensive discipline is top, right? So I think he's wonderful. And I've I've learned so much from watching him play that position the way he has. If you think about Andrew, when he first came into the team, we all knew he could play a number of positions. And when he first went on to the right, we thought, yeah, that's okay. I mean, I think he might have been Wolves away. I think he might have done it one of the first early times. But now he's just got that position down, isn't he? Do you think that's his fixed position now? Do you think that's where he is going to stay? Because I, I know we've spoken about it, you know, whether it's on the podcast or whether it's just sort of yeah. offline on WhatsApp or whatever, you know, about his ability to play. We've seen him play left back. We've seen him play left wing back. We've seen him play yeah. left wing. You know, I, uh, I think he could probably play as a sort of left eight. I think he's that good. He could definitely do it. But is that just sort of pie in the sky when he is as good as he is on that right-hand side? Is there any point in changing him, maybe as he matures? I don't know. But do you think this sort of attacking right position is is where he is going to play the majority of his football? I think for now, yes. And the reason why we have this discussion about his versatility is he has a couple of core base skills. One of them for me is it's just his sprinting speed, acceleration. It's it's unbelievable mm. how he can go zero to one hundred really really quickly. And pace is one thing in football, but change of pace is the thing that really kills defenders. That's one. But the other thing he has is just decision making. Mm. He has such clarity around decision making. So when you see that, you immediately go, "Oh, he can play in midfield. He can play number ten. Because when decisions in the interior of the team, their decision time is even less. It is on the exterior of the team." And so you think, well, you can see when he's making so many right decisions mm. when he's on his own, isolated out wide, put him in the eight or the 10, it could be even better. And mm. you could be could be really correct on that. But right now, as a 21-year-old, young legs, um, I like him where he is. I, there, there's been rumours of him playing number 10 in training and doing really, really well in those type of interior roles. It's not hard to imagine him playing that role, mm. but but our club captain plays that role at the moment, and we sort of don't need to to do it. If you see what I mean, sure. But if windows open, opportunities open, you never know what could happen later in his career. But right now, his influence where he is is, is excellent, and the nation is discovering him because before the tournament, he wasn't a pick for that eleven, and now it's like it's it's like locked on, locked in at the moment. I mean, it seems mad to me that he wasn't mm. the first choice for that position. I mean, I know Phil Foden is playing extremely well for Manchester City this season. Uh, you know, far be it for me as an Irishman to tell any Englishman what to do with their team, but, <laughs> you know, Phil Foden where Mason Mount is, for oh, example, talking. That, that seems exciting to me, but maybe a little bit too exciting for Gareth Southgate. Well, yeah, so... Uh, so you're absolutely right about that. I think Phil Foden spent a lot of his time on the left for Man City this season, mm. but the pundits ignored that little thing and they, they want him in the in the Saka role until Saka turns up and does what he does. So now they've they've rolled away from that one really, really quickly. Um, <laughs> and so I look at the Mason Mount position, shall we say, and uh, that's the position for me. And when Foden came on the other day, 
the way he receives the ball and the half turn just drives out. You think, oh dear, this isn't going to last long for Mason Mount. Mm. <laughs> you know, so um, I, I went to the Chelsea game and I saw, well, I didn't see Mason Mount, shall we say. I yeah, couldn't find yeah. him on the pitch. <laughs> he was you the know? one being nutmegged by Ben White. I don't know if you... Uh, yeah, it's yeah. an embarrassing moment <laughs> and Ben White almost looking at him as he ran past him. <laughs> I mean, I couldn't find him, you know, mm. and... And when I do watch Man City versus Arsenal, I can certainly find Phil Foden, I'm afraid. (laughs) So sometimes other players from the other team just scream at you saying, stop him. You know, so it's no rush, right? He's 21, 22, what Foden is. It's coming. He's going to get into that position. And when he does, it's going to be over for young Mason, I'm afraid. Uh, But Gareth likes him and he likes his pressing. And so, yes, and I should be saying, relax, Clive, because you like the five subs. You like the starters, finishers type concept. And so how you start a game doesn't necessarily mean how you end the game. Mm. And I think we have to change our mindset and not so focus so much on the starting 11 and make sure that we end the game with a certain certain energy and attributes as well as what you start with. So I'm fine with that. Our two Gabriel Brazilians got on last night as Brazil beat uh, Serbia. Um, I love football. You love football. Everyone listening to this, I think, loves football. I find it hard to properly appreciate a great goal when it's scored by a player you don't like. <laughs> I knew you were going there. <laughs> and I was, I was watching this game and... I was thinking, Richarlison, what, you know, come on, what's he doing in that number nine? Now, I know he's got a great scoring record of late for Brazil. And, you know, I don't like the taste of humble pie, and I certainly don't like the taste of humble pie when it's got a Tottenham fucking custard with it, you know? Um, But good to see those two guys get on at least for a little yeah. while. And I think, you know, the the substitutions will play a fairly significant role in, in this World Cup because, you know, England were in a good position. Gareth Southgate made a lot of changes. You know, he's rotating. Your starting team is different from your, your finishing team. I think that's true as well. Of Brazil, they used all five substitutions last night. They were maybe just a little bit ordinary looking though it could be the first game and i think the first game in any tournament is is a little bit cagey we've seen some nil nils people have seen germany get beaten people have seen uh, argentina get beaten which yeah. puts them in not peril but certainly a more difficult position than they would have expected to be in after their first games and they looked at the opposition on paper they probably thought okay we'll get this first game out of the way and then you know but um, you know football the way it works can be beautiful and it, it surprises you and everything else but um what did you make of brazil i don't know how much of the game that you saw what did you make of them and what did you make of the um the input from our guys and you know maybe going forward you know you often see a player who starts a tournament on the bench and gets a chance and comes in and ends it as the main man. I'm kind of hoping that happens for for one of our Gabriels at least. Yeah, exactly. So back in the day, Brazil, say 1982 when Brazil landed, yeah. we didn't know any of the team. They just exploded onto our screens and we thought, oh my goodness, what is this? Yeah. You know, and it was just cha- life-changing moments, right? For and um, But now we know the entire team. When they land, there are no secrets in the world anymore. Sure. When the Brazil team gets named, we think, well, hold on, what about him? What about him? We can actually debate it, whereas before they were all mysteries to us. Yeah. And I looked at Brazil's team. I thought, okay, there's a few positions there that I wouldn't 
play certain people in. But it's what it is. And I, I, I do feel most of the teams, Andrew, that they're imperfect, massively, massively so. You know, and, um, is that good for the I, tournament? I think so. I, I, at this moment in time, I, I really couldn't predict. You know, I had a few Richardson tweets waiting to come out, <laughs> and I didn't send them out. <laughs> and I look really clever today. You like, do. Clive really. just kept himself quiet. Well, actually, yeah. I if you could see my drafts, right? And then suddenly <laughs> he's pinging one over his head, <laughs> go of the tournament, and, um, and and he does play differently to Jesus. He's a, he's a little bit more static in that position. Yes, he stays there. And I can see now systems and players, right? Jesus for Arsenal is transformational. He's transformational because he has 62 touches all over the pitch, right? And um, and other people move where he doesn't, where he's left. So we have a rotation positional system which suits his energy levels and he leads us. Richarlison is, is, a, is a low motor player, mm. a low energy player that stays between the sticks and delivers. And that's what they want. So you can see why they choose him, right? So... Mm-hmm. Um, but obviously we are totally biased and we think that they're making a complete mistake and they need to change their <laughs> system right now so we can see our player would go on to glory, right? Yeah. So um, I thought Jesus was fine, but I thought Martinelli was was really quite bright. Yeah. Yeah, really quite bright. And he has a level of control when he's running forward, like he knows what he's doing. And we talked about Saka and Martinelli and potentially William Sleeper, three 21-year-old players that, could be transformational for our club going forward. Andrew, I, I, I start to wonder sometimes, because we're so close to it, do we understand what talents we have in those three 21-year-olds? You know, I, I really, really wonder how high they could go in the game. I, I don't think there's any danger of us as as Arsenal fans underestimating them in any way, because mm. you you talk to anyone about Saka, Martinelli and Saliba and the first word that comes to mind or to anyone's mind right now is contract. Get yeah. co- a contract and pen. Get them a pen, get them a contract, get it done. Yeah. I just wonder if the thing that we might underestimate is the interest of other clubs in those yeah. players. Yeah. And... Not that that, I mean, that's just a simple consequence of having really good players. You have to live with that. You have to be able to live with that as a football club, don't you? Because I remember so clearly when Arsene Wenger had built that team with Vieira, with Henri, with Bergkamp, with Pires, it's probably not as fixed in people's memories because we weren't all as... uh, interminably online as we are right now not always on but the rumors were there every summer it was Real Madrid who were after Patrick Vieira it was Barcelona who were after Dennis Bergkamp it was everybody who was after Thierry Henry and as a club we had to manage that because these guys have agents they also have ambitions they also have financial requirements. I'm not saying those are the be-all and end-all of of any decision that footballers make, but we know fine well that a player's head can be turned by the offer of unlimited wealth from, you know, or at least a significant upgrade on everything else. So that, you know, you can't demand and want a really good team without having to deal with and cope with these kinds of scenarios. You're, you're absolutely correct. Well, but let me sort of smash that to pieces now, right? Okay, <laughs> because, sure. <laughs> because when we, when we 
all those players, and by the way, they ruined many of our summers, the rumours around them, yeah. right? particularly Vieira for me. And it was traumatic at the time. But when it was happening, Andrew, they were 26, 27. They'd played in the Champions League. That's fair. Yeah, They'd yeah. won the trophies for us. And they suddenly became very world famous. They'd you know, won the World Cup, et cetera, et cetera. Sure. And so we so it was obvious they were going to get some sort of exposure. And from that, they're going to get interest. With these three 21-year-olds, they haven't played in the Champions League yet. They haven't won anything yet. You know, and really of significance. And we know their best days are ahead. And so the emotion that comes into our minds is fear. And the way people recruit now, they're recruiting with a bit more intelligence. 21-year-olds, 22-year-olds is what, what you want. If you're going to pay a transfer fee, that's what you want to spend it on because mm-hmm. you're going to get a value. You don't spend it on 27, 28, 29-year-olds anymore because you know you're not getting nothing back. And so you're absolutely right. It just brings up, um, it brings up fear in me when I want it to bring up oh my goodness, how good could they be? I mean, that be the primary emotion. The two go hand in hand and the fear of not seeing these guys come to fruition to the size of the names that you just mentioned in, the, in yesteryear, mm. that'll be such a disappointment if we don't get to see them at the top level lifting the big trophies for Arsenal. And I think we will, but that, I'm fearful at sure. the same time. I completely agree with that. I just wonder if maybe now the football landscape as it is, mm. is slightly in our favor. Yeah. In the sense that Barcelona and Real Madrid, financially not what they were. Italy, of no interest to any of these guys, really. Yeah. Um, Bayern Munich will always be Bayern Munich. And then you've only got PSG, Manchester City, and I'm not saying that they are not attractive destinations. Yeah, Of course they are. They're extremely rich. They can pay extremely well. They will be competitive. They will play in the, in the Champions League. If you want to win the French League five years in a row, there's no place to be but PSG, right? Yeah. Similarly, Manchester City, as we know, um, they have um, all the wealth and they have, this, uh, they have this sort of stature now in English football. And you can see how they would be attracted to some of these players and maybe how some of those players would be uh, attracted to those clubs, depending on, on where we are. But the what's the, uh, the phrase that people use? The direction of travel yeah. plays a part in decision-making um, for these young guys and for their agents. And I think if, if Arsenal were a, let's say, heading for another eighth-place finish, yeah. in the Premier League this season, then I would be really, really worried about these guys. Yeah. But where we are, what others are doing, how they might be restricted financially, I'm talking sort of Barcelona, Real Madrid, as as clubs that would traditionally be, you know, coming in for these guys. I'm not saying they can't generate the money as well because they can just sort of magic it out of nowhere. You know, they'll just sell, you know, all all the Barcelona members will be required to sell one kidney to get their season ticket next season, you know, so they can just raise the money to get whatever transfers in. I wouldn't put it past them. But, you know, I do think that our direction of travel is such that it it gives us the best possible chance of keeping these guys for as long as possible. Yeah, I, and I agree with that 100%. I'm not going to take it on a step. I think there is a window of opportunity in the English game at the moment, right? So... 
Let's go through them one by one. Obviously, Pep signed his contract, so <laughs> goodbye to all the trophies for the next <laughs> three years, <laughs> supposedly, right? <laughs> so um, it's not going to happen. But, but, but Liverpool right now, there's a little bit of turmoil there, potentially up for sale. Um, Julian Ward has just left. Um, and who's their technical director? Other mm. people leaving within this structure at Liverpool? The club that we all looked at and said, if they can do it, we can do it. Half mm. a decade of real success grown organically with good sales and smart purchases, right? They are going to go through it at the moment for the next couple of years. Chelsea, they're playing FIFA at the moment with their, with their, with their structure and their, and their purchases. I don't think they're bought intelligently. We don't know their financial situation over the medium to long term. Mm. Are they changing models by hiring a project coach like Potter? Potentially. Again, that's not the powerhouse it once was. They're not skin, but they're not the powerhouse it once was. Mm. Right. So Manchester United, well, they've just been, you know, <laughs> just been humiliated in public by their by their most famous player of recent years. Um, I actually think he could do them a favour because he's actually highlighted a lot of their issues, which are true, particularly around infrastructure. But they need to move away from that big personality and then develop their own project. What do they stand for at the moment? It's not clear. They're still a Casco up for sale. Need um, one billion spent on their ground and training ground. They've got things to do, Andrew. They've got things to do out there. Newcastle are coming forth, not just on the pitch, but off the pitch as well, how they're building their people infrastructure smartly around Dan Ashworth. So they are they are coming forth, right? So uh, we don't talk about Spurs. We try to ignore yeah. them, right? Yeah. So the fact they've got the best ground in Europe and one of the best training grounds in Europe, they're still Spurs. They're still going to mess it up, right? So, so we sit there. Arsenal sit there with a bright young coach, good infrastructure, the youngest team in the league, top of league by five points. We have an opportunity to position ourselves. So those three 21-year-olds, why would they ever want to leave? And by the way, other 21-year-olds that we're probably going to learn about during this World Cup, they're looking at the English League and just gone through what I've just said and thinking, actually, Arsenal are looking quite stable right now. Mm. Are Liverpool, Manchester United looking stable over the medium to long term? Man City, they're a different beast, right? So um, so I think we have a window, Andrew, to position ourselves, really position ourselves again and really, really make ourselves the team that we all think we are and know we are but can be over a sustainable period of time. Sure. And I, I really think this is such an important period in our history right now. Not to mess this up, we have to have Champions League music at our club next year for positioning of our club to go to the next phase of the project. Mm. Just nothing else matters more than that. Nothing else. And if we get that right, I think we can build this to what we all hope it's going to be and layer on top of the young towns that we already have. Mm. I think you're right to say it is a window, though. It yeah. is a window, and windows always close. Yes. And I was going to ask you about this just sort of finally because, you know, you mentioned a bit of term turmoil at Liverpool. Mm. We've just made Edu our sporting director. They've lost their sporting director and the assistant sporting director and the technical director. And, you know, they've lost three fairly high uh, quality uh, executives. Yeah. And they're in a position now where Jurgen Klopp is now the most important man at the club. How much of that responsibility he takes on, we'll have to wait and see. Perhaps shades of Arsene Wenger when see that story, David Dean left and everything else. But I think what's interesting is. You know, Liverpool, a couple of weeks ago, FSG announced 
um, or it was said that it was up for sale or they were looking for investors, you know, depending on, on what you read. Manchester United, up for sale. Two American owners. Uh, we obviously share that with them. Yeah. And I'm not saying that the Cronkies are the same as the Glazers or the, are the same as FSG. Two things, two quick questions. One, does it slightly worry you that this might just be the start of something? Is it just coincidence that these two American-owned clubs are, are up for sale now? And two, Liverpool and Manchester United being on the market is going to be very attractive to perhaps ownerships that look at the opportunity, the potential to own two of the biggest football clubs in the world. The consequences then from an Arsenal perspective are that we have this window now, but in 18 months, we could be talking about a very different Liverpool, a very different Manchester United. So the importance of what we have to do in that time frame becomes extremely acute, right? It does. And I've been thinking about this a lot. The, what's our approach going forward in the next two transfer windows? Because trust me, if me and you understand there's a window of opportunity right now, the club do. Right? So what they're going to do to seize it. Right? So the one good thing we have on our side that any sort of potential sale of a club of Manchester United, Liverpool size, We'll take 18 months or two years to fully go through. Mm. And then obviously you're going to build your plans from there on after. In these type of scenarios, people position themselves with contracts to make sure they can get their contracts because they know the club's going to go through a period of of instability. And so motivations change. We've seen this story, Andrew, at Arsenal, haven't we? We've seen when people become overburdened and we've seen what it actually does to output success and how you approach things from a common goal perspective. Yeah. So if I'm Arsenal now, and I and I trust me, I do lots of stuff around scouting and transfers, as you know. And I, you mentioned the name Dennis Burkamp a little while ago, and when Burkamp came in, I felt he was a transformational si- signing for our club, and how we were perceived, mm. and how we perceived the club ourselves. It sort of told us something. And I know times have changed, and there's not a transfer target we don't know something about. Are we going to continue with this? project with 22 year olds or are we going to do something a bit more seismic to really grab the window that's just there I, I, i'm generally not sure mm-hmm. i think it's a debate there's a young 19 year old bounding around for england right now that's looking pretty good <laughs> and he would look good in our shirt that's for sure well he would look good in any shirt uh, Jude yeah, Bellingham, obviously, a lot yeah, of Arsenal yeah. fans <laughs> dreaming so i'm not going to mention his name to just protect your mentions and so so basically <laughs> But we, we can all dream, right? And I think, um, I do think these, these because Manchester United, Liverpool, Arsenal are historically the biggest clubs in the country. Yeah. And we know their global fan base. Those two teams, if they do wake up, it's going to be different for everybody. But is some of this a reaction to the way Man City have run? They are not just very, very wealthy. They are run very, very well. Mm. And they are forcing people to look at themselves and look at how much they can invest in their clubs going forward. And looking, is this the right time to top out? Is this the right time post-Super League, the global TV deal where it is positioned? Is this the right time at this period to say, I'm going to take my money or I'm going to take investment? and give it to somebody else who's got more made than me with more energy to do the things that, particularly May United's case, that mm. need to be done infrastructure-wise. I think the two, I think this is a, it's a very good point you raise. 
if we were to sit back and breathe and really look at what's happening around the top teams with Newcastle, Manchester United and Liverpool, the world will, will look different in three years' time for us. And where what will we look like? Yeah. I think it's important we are the best version of us to make sure we can compete with these teams. And it's not just, Andrew, the money. It's whether you are run appropriately. And the reason why I think Liverpool is suddenly a little bit unstable mm. because they've lost key people. If you can keep your key people and layer them, I think Edu's promotion, air quotes, is really interesting because mm. I think it leaves room for one more person to come in into that executive team. And I think that could be something to watch for. And it's pure guesswork. But if you listen to people, it's not such guesswork. I think there's room to layer our executive team, add more quality, maybe with a European angle from the transfer side of things, uh, or maybe something data-related. I don't know. I'm just speculating. But that's what I see. And so, yeah, let's see what happens. But position ourselves is the key thing for Arsenal in the next year. Yeah. Very much so. All right. Well, look, it'll all play out, and hopefully it plays out as well as we all want with contracts and signings and transfer windows and all the rest. We leave it there, though, Clive. Enjoy the game tonight in whatever outfit you decide on. Oh, thank you. I'm, I'm now changing my mind. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, mate. Take care. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well. Hello Fresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Thank you very much indeed to Clive. You can find him on Twitter. He is at Clive P-A-F-C, at Clive P-A-F-C. And, of course, part of the Arsenal Vision podcast crew, uh, which I'm sure many of you listen to. But if you don't, make sure you stick that on your podcast roster. Right. I'm going to leave it there for today. Thanks a million. As always, you will have noticed that there weren't too many oohs and ahs and exclamations during the recording because I actually just got engrossed in the conversation and didn't pay a huge amount of attention to uh, what was going on in the Wales-Iran game. So far, Iran have hit the post a couple of times. The Wales keeper has just made a really good save. About 74 minutes in at the time of recording, it is still nil-nil in that game. So look, let's leave it there. James and I will be here Sunday or Monday with an Arscast Extra. Not sure exactly when yet, but we'll update you as and when we know for sure. So join us for that. In the meantime, have yourselves a great weekend, and we will catch you on the next one. Until then, cheers. Bye-bye.
This is a message from the Football Association of Arsblog. It had been our intention to finish this podcast with a satirical scathing skit. It was made clear to us from the podcasting authorities that we might be subject to a mild sporting sanction if we did so. Therefore, it is with regret that we announce that that scathing satirical skit cannot be aired. Instead, we will play the unedited version of Gianni Infantino's speech from last week. Today, I feel like a bus driver. Today, I feel like an octopus called Daniel. Today, I feel like a pair of spectacles that sit unevenly on the broken nose of a former boxer. Today, I feel like chicken tonight. Like chicken tonight, like chicken tonight. Honestly, I really would like some chicken. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 